Thanks, Greg. <clears throat> Good morning. I'd like to also welcome you guys all to the worship gathering. Um, I, I am excited for this opportunity to, to bring God's word this morning, and it's my hope and my prayer that God would speak uh, to us through, through his word. Are you the, the type of person who, who would create a, a bucket list, or do you plan out the things that you would want to experience or accomplish before you would die? What, what might it look like if, if God's wisdom from our text here in Ecclesiastes would influence the way that you thought about and then planned um, for your coming death? And so we'll look at our text this morning uh, to see if, if God would give us wisdom in how we might answer, answer those questions. So if you have your Bibles or your electronic devices, would you turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 11, starting in verse 7, and we'll read all the way through chapter... 12 verse 8. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that For all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed, and the doors on the street are shut, when the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along. And desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home. And the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, and the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, this is your inspired word to us. So we ask that that as it comes to us, that we would receive it as that, as your word. Um, It's it's a kindness of you to to show yourself to us and to give us um, a revelation of yourself that we can receive. And so we ask that, that your word would um, take effect in our hearts and in our minds this morning. Uh, we ask that it wouldn't uh, come back empty, but that it would, um, that it would affect us. And so um, we ask your spirit to come and to um, just illumine our hearts to receive this word, um, and that in doing so that, that our lives would be changed and that uh, you'd be glorified in that. So we pray that for this, this morning. Christ's name. Amen. 
So throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, we've been continuously reminded of, of our inability to, to play God. Faced with the vanity that we can see under the sun, we're, we're time and time again humbled to receive each day as God-given. And we're encouraged to, to live in wisdom, even when we don't have maybe a, a neat or a, a tidy answer for all of life's questions. We've, we've had to come to grips with hard lessons that we've learned under the sun, and it seems that up to this point, the, the preacher, he hasn't let anyone off easy. He wants you to, to really feel that you're, you're a human and that you're under this sun. And so he's gone to, to great lengths to, to level the playing field and to bring us kind of all down to the same vantage point. And in the process of doing so, if you haven't realized through the first 10 chapters that he doesn't seem to to play by the general rules of what we would consider acceptable things to talk about at the dinner table. In, in last week's text, we were very plainly reminded of, of how little we can actually know for certain. And, and Greg explained that, in fact, one of the, the few things that we can know for certain is that our life under the sun is uncertain. And so, while that might unsettle you a little bit, um, it should actually engender a comfort in you that, that you can continue letting, letting God be God and that you can get busy trusting him. And Greg said that we could take steps, um, as the butler from Downton Abbey said. You don't need to worry about everything that you don't know. You can focus on the things that you do know and then take action. The, the preacher clearly wants you to, to learn how to navigate this uncertain life under the sun with wisdom. He wants the steps that you do take to be God-honoring and, and wise steps. And so his approach to, to teaching us about this uncertainty has been to walk with us and to, to wade through chapter after chapter of his just observations of the vanity that, that he sees all around him. So he's been doing this for, for 10 chapters now. And there seems to be a method to, to his madness of just repeating this thing over and over. It seems like that's, that's one of the intended purposes that he's, of why he's doing so. Um, and so to, to borrow a, a term that we've used previously in the series, he wants us to, to be well acquainted with this, this uncomfortably unfixed life that we live. And I think the preacher's done a pretty, pretty good job at, at getting us acquainted with that up to this point. I want to show you that this week as we come to our text this morning, the preacher kind of changes his thought from talking about all the, the uncertain things that he sees in life. And he now turns and he addresses us with, with one thing that he's, he's very certain of. He's certain that, that death is going to come for, for every one of us. And so he wants us not to be uncertain about that, but he wants us to be certain of it. And he, he not only wants to, to know this in our heads, but he wants it he wants us to, to feel it approach and feel it and then dwell on that. And so, while the most extensive time that the preacher talks about death is, is in our passage this morning, it's, it's clearly not the first time that the preacher's been gripped by this fact that everyone is, is going to die. And so, if you think back with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, the preacher says, the wise person has, in his eye, has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness, and yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen 
also, or happened to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? Or again in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 18 through 21, he said, I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity, all go to one place, all are from dust, and to dust all will return. Or again, in, uh, in chapter 9, verses 2 and 3, he looks at both the good and the evil. He says, it's the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and to him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. So throughout the book, Solomon's been, been looking out under this life under the sun, and he, he, he sees death just for everything. And he, he's almost saying, this, this isn't fair. This doesn't, this doesn't seem right. Why, can, why does death come for the beasts and the, the humans, or the good and the bad. And so, he clearly doesn't want us to, to overlook this, this future point in our existence in which we will die and then we'll return to dust. It, it kind of reminded me of the quote that Greg used when he introduced us to the book of Ecclesiastes, um, where Zach Eswine describes the book saying, Ecclesiastes sounds like a crazed man downtown. He smells like he hasn't bathed, looks like it too. And as we pass by, he won't stop glaring at us, beckoning us to us that our lives are built on illusions and that we're all going to die. <clears throat> it's not something that you would say at the dinner table. So at, at this point, when, when we come to our text this morning, I find my, myself asking the question, have, haven't you told us this enough? Why do you keep needing to come back to it again and again? But it seems like in, in chapter 12... There's, there's a little bit different of a, of a purpose. So in his previous mentions of, of death, he's, he's frustrated with it, and he's confused um, by, by the reality of it. But now when he comes to it in chapter 12, it seems like he has a little more of a, a target, um, of a, a little more targeted of a purpose as he approaches it here. So as we read before, you, you know, he, he gives us this extended in this rather glaring metaphor that we can then picture death in our minds. And while there's not unanimous agreement regarding how to read each of the metaphors that he uses, um, I found that, that what one commentator says regarding this section helps me kind of think through and then develop a picture in my mind. He says that the preacher is comparing the body falling apart to the distress of a great house in disrepair. So, if, if you can imagine with me just like a, a big house in Solomon's day, um, all the, the different things that make up that house, there's maybe guards around the outside of the house and, and servants with, with different functions inside the house. Um, maybe there's big halls within the house and there's entertainers in those halls or, or people mourning in those halls. And then, if you think of if you think of think of that so think of all the operations of a house and then 
you, you think of maybe an analogous body part, and you picture this body just falling apart and crumbling. And so, in, in the picture, death just begins to, to take its toll on our frail and our human bodies. And so, your, your arms and your legs begin to fail you, and your, your grinders or your teeth become few, and you, you lose your ability to chew. Or, or maybe your eyesight and your hearing begin to worsen. Or maybe, maybe you're the person who continues to, to toss and turn at night and you, you wake up at the slightest sound of, of a bird in the morning. Maybe you get to the point where you're scared of, of heights because of what might happen if you fall. And, and the preacher just piles on image after image after image. And so you can, you can see and you can even just feel the life being sucked out of this, this picture that he gives. And so I want to call your attention to the poem again, but, but this time as we read through, I want you to feel these evil days approaching and, and, and then get this picture just stuck in your mind. So let's read through the metaphor here in chapter 12 again, starting in verse 1. It says, Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come, and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they're few. And those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The, the almond tree blossoms, the, the grasshopper drags itself along, and, and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home. And, and the mourners go about the streets before the, the silver cord is snapped, and the golden bowl is broken, and the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. So it, it might be one thing to, to intellectually know that these unpleasant days are in front of you and that, and that they're coming, but, but anyone who's seen a relative or a loved one you know, get to this place where death begins to, to creep in and, and take over knows in a much more than just an intellectual way how unpleasant it is to, to approach death like this. In fact, you might, even, you might even be sitting here, and as you hear those, those metaphors, you may be thinking that, that some of those are, are, are your situation. Maybe, maybe the evil days of, of aging are, are taking their toll on, on you. And so, at this point, I, I, I guess we could thank the preacher for being ruthless enough to, to put this this vivid picture in front of us. Because for most of us, it's, it's an unpleasant thought to, to think about this. We, we'd rather continue on with our daily lives without dwelling on our, on our future death, and much less the death of, of any of those around us. But the, the wise preacher, he won't let us off the hook that easy to just avoid this. And it seems, like I said before, that there's there's a little deeper purpose behind his drawing our attention to, to this certainty. And so I want to ask the question, 
what, what is he doing by confronting us so boldly with death? Look again at, at chapter 12, verse 1. The preacher says to remember also your creator in the days of your youth before. And so there's a time in which we all have the capacity and the, the opportunity to remember our creator. And then there's a time when, when that ends. The, the evil and unpleasant days are coming when, when we'll grow old and we'll die in this, this remembering that in the, in the sense that the preacher uses the term, it'll be over. And so I think that's the main point that the, that the preacher is drawing our attention to. He, he wants us to know that you should remember your creator today because tomorrow it might be too late. As we unpack this, this main idea, I want this looming image of, of old age and, and death kind of as it hangs over you to, to motivate you and compel you to, to remember your creator today. So as we think of this idea of, of remembering, what, what exactly does it mean to, to remember? Are we, are we just talking about mental recollection in the sense that you would remember a, a answer to a multiple choice quiz on a test or on a quiz that you're taking or that you remember that you have a bill to pay or you remember something on your grocery list when you drive away from the store or is there something different and and maybe more to to this type of remembering or to ask it another way should should bringing your creator to mind actually affect something in you or does it just leave you the same with with no tangible effect to show for it. It it, it might be helpful to show an example of of what remembering is is not. In Romans 1, Paul gives us a a pretty clear picture of what it meant for the ungodly and unrighteous men to refuse to live differently in light of their creator. He said, "For, For God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is forever blessed. Amen. Now, obviously the preacher would would not have lived to see the day when, when Paul wrote this, but I think he would definitely agree with what Paul is saying here in that these godless people did they did not acknowledge god in other words they were they were fools who didn't remember their creator it's it's similar to to the to the thought that the preacher gives us when he says about fools in ecclesiastes 5 that that they do not know that they are doing evil so without god as as a reference point they they couldn't even distinguish what was right and and what was wrong they didn't remember their creator and so if if fools and unrighteous men and and women in their refusal to acknowledge their creator 
they did not honor God or give thanks to him. Clearly, the preacher means something different here when he calls his readers to remember their creator. He's, he's referring to something more than just a simple mental exercise. He wants his hearers to actually live differently in light of their remembering. And so, when the preacher tells us to remember our creator, that's, that's what it means, to, to remember in a way that changes how you then respond to God. So, having established the, the nature of, of remembrance in this, this way, let's, let's look again at what the main thrust and the main idea that the preacher wants to call us to mind today. He wants you to remember God before it's, before it's too late, before death takes its toll. So, where do we start and, and how do we do that? In the verses leading up, to his command in chapter 12, the, the preacher gives us a few examples of, of what it would look like to, to live properly with a remembrance of your creator. So the first, the first example I want to call your mind to is that you should, you should live without worry. So don't wait to stop worrying. In chapter 11, verse 10, it says, Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. This seems to be a fairly straightforward command that he's calling us to, especially if, if we understand what vexation means. It's, it's referring to the state of being frustrated or being worried. And so you're told to remove vexation from your heart and remove pain from your body. Just, just think about what worrying says about your creator. It says that, that you don't trust that, that he's in control or that, that he isn't managing the affairs of, of his creation rightly. And so our worries come, come to us from a heart that, that's anxious and, and wants to just control things and make sure we have it all on, on our own terms. And so maybe your first response to the looming picture of death isn't to make you any less worried it actually makes you more worried. And so if, if, if death is, is a paralyzing thought for you and causes you to be anxious, then hear these comforting words from Jesus in Matthew six twenty five through 34. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither, t- they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for 
tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. When you remember that, that God is your creator and your father, you can trust that he'll care for you. And you're freed then to stop worrying and stop vexating. Jesus says here that, that worrying won't even add a single hour to your life. So even, even though death might be on your doorstep, it's not outside of, of God's control. And, and you don't need to fear death and live in, in constant worry. Rather, remove worry from your heart and put away pain from your body before it's too late. So if, if we're told here to, to remove this from our heart, then, then if we're, we're putting, putting worry off, then what exactly should replace worry and this pain? He gives us this, this negative command to, t- to take that away, but is there something he, he tells us to, to put on then or to, that can fill this, this void that worry has? Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verses 8 and 9. It says, So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. So his answer for what we should do instead of worry is, is right there. We're, we're supposed to rejoice in life. And so this, this brings me to my second point. <clears throat> Don't wait to enjoy life. It, it's only fitting that those who would bring their creator to mind would do so by turning and then rejoicing in all of life but it can only be done if if we see every circumstance in life and every enjoyment that we get to experience in god's creation as a gift from god he's sovereign over it all the the good things that we experience the bad and and even the ugly and so instead of worrying we can we can receive this life from from his hand this is what the preacher has been saying to us all along in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 12 and 13, he said, I perceive that there's nothing better for mankind than for them to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Or again in chapter 8, he later says, I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. So joy is not just an option among many that a Christian can pick and choose for his or her life. It's supposed to be the the theme of the Christian's life. You don't give God glory with your life by sulking or by pouting about what you wish you had or how you wish circumstances would have gone any differently in your life you give god glory by receiving with joy the day that he has sovereignly given you so if you have youthfulness then rejoice and if you have a job then rejoice if there's food on your table or if you get to spend a nice evening together with friends or with family then rejoice and if you have breath in your lungs to breathe then rejoice those are god's gifts to you and so you should receive them with joy while you still can. But notice here that even the enjoyments in life that God gives us to enjoy under the sun aren't just 
than end in themselves. As, as we receive them from God and rejoice in his generosity, we point beyond the, the gifts that we get to enjoy and experience to the one who, who gives them to us. And so that's how we can remember God in our rejoicing. And it's also how then the one who gives the gifts gets, gets the glory for letting us enjoy them. So let me ask you, does, does your life right now indicate that you find enjoyment in the life that, that God has given you? When you die, will people remember you as someone who received your life as a gift from God? If, if that's not you today, then don't wait any longer to start enjoying life um, as it's been given from God because there, there are evil days coming of which you will say, I, I have no pleasure in them. So enjoy life now. And the last observation I want to call your attention to is that our enjoyment of this life that God gives, it must also be done in the way that, that God prescribes. <clears throat> and I get this from the end of verse 10 in chapter 11. He says, Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Although the preacher commands that we rejoice in life and in our youthfulness, he also calls our attention to the fact that God will bring us into judgment for the ways that we've pursued or maybe in some cases abused the gifts that, that he's given to us. And so we're to honor God in our enjoyment of life. When I used to read this, this verse in this verse 10 when I was younger, I was always confused by, by what it could mean. Couldn't tell if, on the one hand, the preacher was giving me license to enjoy my youthful desires in any way that I saw fit, or if there was something deeper and maybe more to it than that. How could, how could I both walk in the ways of, of my heart and in the sight of my eyes and then also be, be brought into judgment for that? It, they seem to be contradictory to me at the time, but it's, it's clear to me now that, that rather than giving us the green light to, to just live in our youth as prodigals, the, the preacher is reminding us that true enjoyment of the gifts that God gives can only be realized within the confines and the boundaries that, that God has established for them. So he's not only given us good gifts like sex and food and work and drink, but he's also told us how we're supposed to enjoy them. If, if we seek the use of God's gifts on our own terms, or if we make them out to, to be ultimate when they were never created to, to bear that, it can only hurt us. And so God will bring us into judgment for the improper ways in which we've sought to enjoy his gifts without a proper reference or remembrance of him. To, to quote again from the book Recovering Eden, here's what Zach Eswine says about this idea. We must learn from God how to enjoy what he has given to us, knowing that none of it can save or satisfy us. Trying to turn a grapefruit into a baseball doesn't dismiss the value of the grapefruit, but it makes for a disappointing baseball game. If we want to enjoy the fruit's value, we have to treat it according to the use God gave it and resist trying to use it for the things it was not made for. A grapefruit cannot give us the thrill of a home run, but it can make a breakfast pleasant. So it is with our spouses, our food, 
our work, and our place in the world. Neither of these can satisfy our souls or provide the gain only God can give. Trying to use them as such will only disappoint us. There are some people who might think that if we could just if we could untether ourselves from, from the principles that God gives us or the order that he puts around his creation, then, then we'd be free to experience the most pleasure in life. If we could, if we could just get away from limiting ourselves with, with morals and with right and with wrong, then we could have joy. But, but that's not the way that God made the world. He's given us wonderful gifts to enjoy, yes, but he's also given us a, a proper place and an order in which to enjoy them. And, and shouldn't the, the creator, the one who made these gifts, also have the authority and the, the right to tell us how to enjoy them? Ecclesiastes chapter uh, 12, verse 7 says that the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. So God, God gave these things. And so let that sink in. Your life is a gift and you don't, you don't own it. It's, it's on loan from, from your creator. And so one day you'll return to dust and your spirit will return to God. In, in the New Testament, Paul reiterates this point when he says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So let me finish this, this last point by asking the following. Have you sought to use God's gifts in a way that honors his character and his worth? and in a way that remembers him as your creator. Because if, if that's not you, then there's no better time to start honoring God in your enjoyment of his gifts than right now. Remember, death is coming. Your, your life is a mist, and you, you don't know if you can do that tomorrow. So let's briefly summarize where we've, where we've been so far this morning before we conclude. First of all, the, the preacher wants you to, to consider and to look forward to, to the coming days of your death. He wants you to know that, that, that those are for certain. And in doing so, he wants you to remember your Creator today, right, right now. Because tomorrow, it, it might be too late. And then, as we bring our Creator to mind and live differently in light of that, we learn to, to stop worrying we learn to, to start rejoicing and we learn to honor God in our enjoyment of his gifts. Now, with, with all that in mind, you, you might be discouraged because up to this point in your life, you haven't been living with a proper remembrance of your creator. And so you haven't been honoring God with your life. But if you're here this morning, then there's still life left for you to live. You still have breath in your lungs, and so you have remaining days in which you can remember your Creator. And you can live in those days with, with joy. And there's even more good news than, than just that. The, the preacher gives us wise wisdom to, to live with our death coming, but, but there's someone even greater than the preacher that's come. Someone greater than Solomon, came to earth and he, he became like us. He entered in to, to our vanity. But unlike us where we don't remember God, this man perfectly remembered his father while he lived. And, and he looked forward to, 
to his coming death and he didn't run away in fear or in worry, but he approached death like a lamb being led to the slaughter. And with joy set before him, he willingly gave up his life. He, he honored his father in both his living and, and then in his dying. And he lived so that he could then die and he died so that he could rise and he, he swallowed up death. And so anyone who is joined to, to this man, to, to Jesus, can learn to approach death rightly and, and die rightly and then will be resurrected with him when he returns. And so if you haven't yet, then come to Jesus and, and receive him. And if you have received him, then continue living your life in remembrance of him and honor him with your life. So to conclude, I want to share an excerpt with you from author N.D. Wilson in his book, Death by Living, and then share a passage from 1 Corinthians. So you can see it on the screen. Because of death, we can run the good race. We can fight the good fight. Completion exists. We made ourselves filthy and corrupt, and God cursed us with death like a mother cursing her mud-caked children with a scalding shower. His curse swallows up our own. Time marches us to death, and together they strip our hands. But there is a man there, beside the grave, collecting all our grime, stripping more than hands, stripping hearts and minds and souls. He assembles a burden like no other. He ran his own race. And though he is the Son of God, he moved through time. For three decades he ran toward death, and when he reached it, he could say what all mortals needed said, it is finished. And he went along with that burden into, into a hole. All of us die, walk through the torn curtain and be scraped bone clean. Empty your hands and hearts, die, be made new. Taste every one of time's moments. Swallow, taste the next. Drink the water, drink the wine. It's, it's no use no good left in the glass. Sweat and struggle, run, fight, receive, give. Be grateful even for death, for the ticking clock counting down on you. Seventy years, eighty if you're strong, less if you're like the Messiah. Look to him and receive more grace. Stagger on. You can do it. Only a decade more or two or four. But there is a finish line. There will be an end to the weight on your back and the ache in your skull. This place is no Tartarus, and our God is no Scrooge. He gives without ceasing. Even when we fell, when our first parents defied him, the first thing he gave them was an end, mortality, a path to resurrection and the promise of a guide. And then he clothed them. So we don't have to fear death and if you come and are joined together with Christ then we can rejoice in this passage from 1 Corinthians this this perishable body must put on the imperishable this mortal body must put on immortality when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on mortality then shall come to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory oh death where is your victory O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of, de- sting of death is sin, 
and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let's pray. God, you have defeated death. You've given us a way not to to worry about death. And you've given us gifts even in this, this life to enjoy and to receive from your hand. So would we remember you as we live and as we approach these evil and dark days that are awaiting us and would you teach us to to number our days um, as we live use them in ways that are honoring to you and that call you to to remembrance and would you comfort us knowing that that even though death is certain in this life under the sun that that you've swallowed up death and you've You've promised a a resurrection for those who are joined together with you. And so would would we not fear um, death and would we remember you today while we still can? We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.